Welcome to Chronicles Ministries. When one opens the book of Matthew, just like the book of Chronicles actually, and sees what uh, looks like a seemingly dull family tree, may be tempted to think that there is little significance to be drawn from this catalog of names. One may be tempted to skip over it and miss the action, miss where it all began. Now, the first thing this genealogy does is show the Jewish people that Jesus is the legal descendant of David through the royal line. Matthew, who wrote this, um, is a Jewish man himself, and he is writing to a Jewish audience. And this list shows that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy and fulfillment of Israel's expectations. Many, many, many years earlier, uh, God had made an unconditional agreement with David, promising him a kingdom that would last forever and a never-ending ruling line. And this is actually stated beautifully in Psalm 89, verse 4, 36, and 37. And I'm just going to take a second to read that to you. So 89, Psalm 89, verse 4. Uh, this is what it says. I establish your line forever. And make your throne firm through all the generations. And moving forward um, up to, I'm actually going to start at verse 35. It says, Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David. His line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. So what we have here is is a line a line of people showing God's faithfulness is never ending God's promises always being worked out and in Matthew here Matthew is pointing it out that it's that um, he starts with Abraham in verse 2 and then he moves all the way to the birth of the Messiah which we find in 1 verse 16 so this covenant that God promised is now fulfilled in Christ. And this genealogy shows that Jesus is the legal heir to the throne of David. Now this is how the Jewish people would have known that their Messiah had arrived as promised. If only they would have looked. Genealogies were very, very important to these people. Which is why Matthew begins his gospel with this list. Now because Jesus lives forever... His kingdom and his reign will last forever as well. But that's not where I'm going to um, go with you today. For today, I want to draw your attention to the names. Open up Matthew 1 and look at the names. Take a look at who is listed. Do not pass by. Pay attention to who is part of, a, of, the, of the family tree. This line of royalty See who is there. There are many interesting names there. They're real people with real stories, and some of them very, very messy in a real time in history. Now, because we're on limited time, today we're only going to look at um, four names here. And the four names that we're going to look at are women. And why, why am I going to look at the women name, these four women's names? Because women are seldom mentioned in Eastern, Eastern genealogical ta uh, tables. And so the mention of these four women is notable, especially who was noted. These women 
would not be regarded as the most noble women of the Old Testament. I would like to point out that if you go back and you read it, you will notice that three of them were Gentiles by birth, and the fourth, Bathsheba, was a virtual Gentile by her, mage, her marriage to Uriah the Hittite. You will find that in Second Samuel 11, verse 3. Now, the four model matriarchs of Jewish history. Now remember, he's writing to Jewish people. So the, the four model matriarchs of Jewish history would have been Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. These were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's wives. Matthew, choosing to mention women in the lineage of Jesus, could have included these matriarchs, but he didn't. Who did he list? He listed four new matriarchs, all of them, all of them testimony of the deep and wide mercy and grace of God. These women show how God can take unlikely people and use them in great ways. These women, amongst many other names listed here, vividly demonstrate God's ability to work with all sorts of people, to love all sorts of people. Matthew shows who God calls his own, his family, his loved ones, the ones he rescued and placed securely into his fold his family tree. Now, who are these four women? Well, let's start with the first one. Her name is Tamar. Now, I'm going to just give you the short uh, short version here of who they are, but certainly go back and take a look. But Tamar, Tamar is a desperate one, and she is one who deceives. She sold herself as a prostitute to her father-in-law, Judah, to bring forth a child. Now, it is a very complicated situation, a situation that we would have to spend quite a bit of time studying in order for us to understand what was going on and why Tamar did what she did. It is foreign to us. But today, what we're going to do is just look at what happened. Now, her husband died, and she had no children, and her father-in-law sent her back to her family. Picking up in Genesis 38, read the whole thing by yourself, but Genesis 38, verse 13 to 14, we read, When Tamar was told, Your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance. Moving on to verse 15, we see that when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. He went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. In verse 18, we can see that he slept with her and that she became pregnant by him. And after she left, she took off her veil and put back her, put on her widow's clothes again. She was desperate for a child from this family that owed her a child, so she deceived. This woman, in this day and culture, was destitute with a child, so she took matters into her own hands, and it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. And there she is, with the twins that she conceived out of this desperate act of deceit, in Matthew 1, verse 3. What happened? Why is she listed? Moving forward, we see Rahab. 
and Rahab is the undesirable Gentile prostitute for whom God took extraordinary measures to save from both judgment and her lifestyle of prostitution. When we open up the book of Joshua and read the account of Rahab, and please do so, you will see her identity. But for today, most importantly, and this is very important, I would like to draw you to a couple verses in Joshua. Joshua 2 verse 1 says, The prostitute named Rahab. 6 verse 17 says, Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who were with her in her house shall be spared. This is important. 6 verse 22 to 33 goes on to say, Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out. And finally, I want to draw your attention to 6 verse 25 of Joshua. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. And here is the prostitute right there in Matthew 1 verse 5. What happened? Why is she listed? Ruth is the next one. A Moabite. She is an outsider. She's a Gentile who went with her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to the land of Judah after their husbands died. When we open up the book of Ruth and read the account of Ruth, you will see her identity. And again, this is important to pay, pay attention to this detail. So in Ruth 1, we see her identity. 1 verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth, who? The Moabite her daughter-in-law. 2 verse 2 says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi. Carrying on, 2 verse 21 says, Ruth the Moabite said. Ruth's identity is a Moabite, the outsider. And here she is in Matthew 1 verse 5. Moving on to, um, to Matthew 1 verse 6, it says, Her who had been the wife of Uriah, her name is Bathsheba, and she is mentioned by implication in Matthew. She is the adulteress. She is infamous for her sin with David, and you will find that in Second Samuel 11. And here she is in Matthew 1 verse 6. What happened? Why is she listed? Here they are. We have the desperate deceiver, the undesirable prostitute, the Moabite outsider, and the adulterous one in Jesus's family tree. Now, the first thing that I'd like to point out is their identity. In the Old Testament, what they did or who they were was their identity. That is, until mercy stepped in. Look again at Matthew's list. Look at what it says, or actually more accurately, what it does not say. We read, Literally, we read, whose mother was Tamar? Whose mother was Rahab? Whose mother was Ruth? And in verse 6, it says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. These women all come from shady past, and yet here they are in Matthew. Why? I'll tell you why. It's because there is a name that is above all names, and his name is Jesus, and that is why. His name trumps all. His name gives new, everlasting identity. 
What these women did or did not do is not the sum total of who they are. Jesus is. Jesus changes everything. They are listed by name here in Matthew with no description this time in the line of Jesus. Their identity is not found where found in where they were born, what family they were born into, where they stood in the social hierarchy of the day. Their identity is not defined by their action, no matter how shameful they may seem. Their identity is not de- defined by how successful they were or how educated they were. How privileged they were, it didn't define them either. They were all on the wrong side of the track, and God steps in, and he changes who they were to who they had become. Who did they become? His. Their identity is Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, family of God, period. Now, why is this important? For a couple different reasons. My heart skips a beat when I read through Matthew 1, verse 1 to 17. The first thing that makes me fill up with joy is that I can see that Jesus came for all people. This list is not complete. Matthew listed in groupings, if you will. But the ones he chose to list, my goodness. The tree is not full of the elite. These people, these women, had very messy lives and very messy stories. I am reminded and therefore find great hope when I see who Jesus came for. He came for the broken, the desperate, the outsider, the less than, desire, the less than desirable, the deceivers, the outcast. He came for me. These women's stories do not define who they are. Jesus defines who they are. Your story, my story, does not define who we are. Jesus does. These women came face to face with God in his way and in his time. And I want to say that again, and I need you to hear me. In his way and in his time. And all things changed forever. Simply because they said, Yes, God. Now, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? Do you see who Jesus says you are? His loved and redeemed? Or do you see your past and allow it to define you? Do you feel your past is too shady? Then look again, my friends. Look at the list. Broken people made whole in Jesus. You and I are no different. I also feel my heart skip a beat. For when I look around me, when you look around you, to those you see on the street, to those you run in the grocery store, in your neighborhood, your family members who have gone astray, who do you see? Who do you see? When you think about those around the world, when you see them in the news, and it's a messy place, when you think of those in jail, when you see the prostitute standing on a downtown corner, or the man begging for money at the stoplight you are waiting to go through, who do you see? 
And I'm asking you and me to look back at the list in Matthew. These are unsavory people whose identity is changed forever because they, they became, they belong to the one named Jesus. And he changed everything. Now the question I have for you is how did Tamar, the Canaanite woman whose family more than likely gave their eldest daughter over to be a shrine prostitute for their gods, for their, for their gods, how does she land up here in Matthew? I'll tell you how, how mercy showed up. How did Rahab, a prostitute living in a place where the God, the creator of all things, was not the God that they worshipped, she landed up in here she landed up here in Matthew. How did that happen? Grace showed up. How did Ruth, the outsider, and Bathsheba, the adulterous one, land up here in Matthew? I'll tell you how. Love showed up. How did they ever hear about God? God's love knows no bounds. He can and he does meet people where they are, in the gutters, in different countries where God is not the God who is worshipped. God is not bound by whatever kind of box we put in him. He works in mighty and miraculous ways. His love is more than sufficient for you. His love is more than sufficient for me. No matter where you have been or what you have done, his love is for all who say, yes, God. And he reaches to places in, in ways that you and I could never imagine because we are not God. We are not God. Three of these four women had everything stacked against them by our standards. We may have thought at that time or even today, how would they hear in order to be say, able to say, yes, God, look again and be reminded, there they are. God is God. And again, I say to you, not to be boxed by our small thinking. He speaks to who he chooses to speak to in the way he chooses to speak. God will accomplish what he has set out to accomplish. These women heard God. And once again, let me remind you and I, they said yes to God. I am suggesting in regards to God's miraculous saving grace and mercy that we choose to trust instead of doubt. That we choose to pray instead of turning up our noses. God's family is full of interesting, unlikely people. One of whom I am. I am an unlikely one. Be reminded and move forward in hope. Knowing that because you have said yes to God, your identity is richly. My identity is richly. Debbie, family of God. Put your own name in there. Your identity is not found in where you have been or what you have done. Move forward and be reminded in hope with new eyes. Seeing the ones we meet, the ones we worry about, the ones who seem lost, the ones who seem to have no hope of hearing about the amazing love, mercy, grace, and life that God has to offer. Look at these names in Matthew and be fully confident that the creator of all things is completely sovereign and in control. He is on the move. Instead of worry, shame, anger, or doubt, pray. Pray for those listed above. 
Pray for those that God has laid heavily upon your heart and then trust in him who is always, always on the move despite what we may see or think. Be used by God to share what he has done for you wherever it is you find yourself and then let him take care of the rest because he is. He is taking care of the rest. Because you and I belong to a faithful God who is in the business of saving and hear me well in his way and in his time. Look back at Matthew 1, verse 1 to 17, and be reminding, be reminded of the amazing power and mercy of God. Be reminded of him who came to save. Be reminded of their identity before they met God and how our faithful God changed their identity. Move forward in hope knowing full well that the God who never changes has changed your identity. When you look in the mirror, see who you really are. Your past, nor your future, actually, define who you are. You are God's. Your faithful God defines who you are. You are His child through the blood of His Son. Be reminded and live in hope, my friends. Until we meet again, amen.